Welcome to The Deeper You Go, The Weirder It Gets. I'm your host, Garrett Rennan. If you like the show, please do me a favor and hit the subscribe button and leave a review. So in this episode, I want to talk about some of the themes contained in the book Civilized to Death by Christopher Ryan. As I've mentioned before and will most likely say again, there is always two sides to every story. And the book Civilized to Death does a great job presenting an alternate view of our ancient hunter-gatherer past, as, as well as looking at the other side, the dark side, the shadow of our current civilization and modern lifestyle. We've been told that civilization is mankind's greatest accomplishment. We've also been told that because of our advanced technologies and modern conveniences, such as Cities, cars, electricity, washing machines, computers, supermarket, the internet, and modern medicine, that there has never been a better time to be alive in all of human history than right now. But is this true? In order to answer this question, we first need to discuss where we came from. Then we need to talk about some of the major issues with our modern civilization And finally, we need to define what actually constitutes a great life. So where we came from, in order to bring in some perspective, let's imagine that the entire history of the human race could be represented in just one day. In other words, let's compress millions of years of human history into just a 24-hour period. So the clock starts when... Humans first separated from other primates, which was about four to five million years ago. These early humans lived a similar existence from the beginning of this 24-hour period until they developed agriculture. The development of agriculture is considered the official start of human civilization, and it happened about 10,000 years ago, or four minutes ago on our compressed time scale. This means means that For the majority of human existence, for 23 hours and 56 minutes, the human race lived the life of a hunter-gatherer living in small tribes. So one thing I'd like to point out is that while civilization began just 10,000 years ago, our modern lifestyle is only about 100 years old, if that. Living a sedentary lifestyle in large, overcrowded cities where we sit in traffic, engage in social media, watch TV, eat highly processed junk food, take pharmaceutical drugs and go to work. Yeah, we've only been living this way for like 10 seconds or less. So this current lifestyle of ours is so new that the human body, mind and spirit has not yet had a chance to adapt. And as a result, we are now suffering from what's called mismatched diseases. The book makes the analogy that we are like wild animals who now find ourselves trapped in a zoo. But not just any zoo, a zoo that we created. Some zoos are better than others, but a zoo is still an artificial environment. And because we are living in a world that is contradictory to our own evolution, one where we have lost connection with nature, we now find ourselves... We now find ourselves in a place where mental illness, obesity, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, chronic pain, and pollution are not only rising, but skyrocketing. According to the World Health Organization, one person dies every 40 seconds from suicide. The World Health Organization also said that more people die from suicide 
than from conflicts, war, and natural disasters combined. Think about that for a second. Despite all the news about terror attacks, gun violence, and war, one of the biggest threats to humanity is our own minds. We live in a society where people are so unhappy that they are more likely to die by their own hands than nearly any other method. And if that's not bad enough, child depression is now on the rise, with teen suicide being the highest it's ever been. It's not just our minds that are under attack. Our bodies are the heaviest they've ever been. Nearly 40% of Americans are now considered obese. That's basically half of our adult population. And now it's beginning to affect our children, with 20% of adolescents and 15% of children as young as 2 to 5 are now considered obese. The planet, Mother Earth, is now suffering as well. Our rivers, lakes, and oceans are polluted. There is a garbage patch the size of Texas floating in the Pacific Ocean. Our air quality is rapidly decreasing. We are burning fossil fuels at an alarming rate. Forest fires are on the rise, and the planet is constantly heating up. And if that's not bad enough, despite all our technology, we somehow have less leisure time than ever. Believe it or not, most hunter-gatherer societies had much more free time than we could ever imagine. The Kalahari Bushmen, for instance, only devoted 12 to 19 hours per week obtaining food and doing necessary chores. Today, we work 40 hours if we're lucky. Most people work way more. In fact, Americans work more hours than any other industrialized nation, and we take fewer vacation days. And if you are actually fortunate enough to take a vacation, how much time is spent responding to work-related emails? And we can't forget about one of the biggest changes civilization brought to humanity, and that was the idea of enforcement of private property. Once agriculture was invented, we started to accumulate a surplus of food, which was definitely both a pro and a con. It's obviously nice to have extra food on hand for the lean times, yet all that extra food meant that you needed a place to store it, and you needed someone to guard it, not to mention that you needed the land to grow the food in the first place. This meant that someone needed to own the lands the food was grown on, and some people needed to control the armies that guarded the food supply from the others. So basically, agriculture created a deep class-based society. If you controlled the food supply, this gave you power over everyone else. So with the invention of agriculture, we also got the invention of kings, lords, commoners, peasants, and slaves. Agriculture, in addition to giving us an abundance of food, it also gave us the haves and the have-nots. Hunter-gatherers never had large quantities of extra food lying around, particularly because there was no way to store it. So hunter-gatherers would literally hunt and gather each day, taking just enough to feed everyone in the tribe. Not to mention, hunter-gatherers tend to live in what's called an, an egalitarian society, which basically means that all individuals had equal rights and equal access to goods and services. This was because the survival of these small tribes depended on everyone working together. For example, if one person was successful on the day's hunt, he would share with everyone else because, well, first of all, the food would spoil. He couldn't eat it all by himself. And also, there would be days when he was unsuccessful. So sharing was part of the culture. Today, in the United States... We could not be further from an egalitarian society. In fact, income inequality is greater now than at any other society at any time in the past anywhere in the world. At least here in Seattle, not sure about other places, 
tent cities are popping up everywhere, on sidewalks, on the side of the highway, and under nearly every bridge. Income equality gets even larger once you factor in the entire world. Apparently, the richest 85 people in the world own as much as the bottom half of the world's population. This means that just 85 people own as much as 3.85 billion people. In order to put wealth inequality into some perspective, I'm going to give you some mind-blowing information. We've all heard about millionaires and billionaires, right? So instead of thinking about it in terms of money, let's think about it in terms of seconds. So 1 million seconds is approximately... 11 days, right? That's that's fairly long. However, 1 billion seconds is approximately 32 years. Yes, you heard that right. 32 years. A billion is way bigger than a million. And then it gets even crazier. A trillion seconds is approximately 32,000 years. Okay, so think about that for a second. And so in 2019, the average the average salary in the United States was $47,000. Okay, so 47,000 seconds is just 13 hours. I bring these numbers up because it shows how we have no concept of large amounts of money. When you hear that Jeff Bezos, owner of Amazon, is worth... billion dollars or that the U.S. government's federal budget for 2020 is 4.7 trillion dollars or that 738 billion is just for the military, it can be hard to grasp just how much money that actually is. However, when you think of it in terms of seconds, you can easily realize that a billion dollars and even a trillion dollars is a ridiculously large amount of money. Here's another way to think about it. Like I mentioned earlier, the average annual income of a full-time salaried worker in the United States in 2019 was approximately $47,000. It would take 21,000 years for this person to accumulate just $1 billion, and it would take nearly 2.8 million years to accumulate the amount of money Jeff Bezos has. The point being, a few people and a few corporations have an enormous, enormously disproportionate amount of money, and who controls the money controls the world. So here's a funny story, kind of a side note. When I was like eight years old, I overheard some kids talking about the golden rule. I had no idea what they were talking about. So when I got home, I asked my dad. He told me, whoever has the gold makes the rules. So for many years, I actually thought that that was the definition. But the truth be told, while many people define the golden rule as treat others the way you would like to be treated, the definition my dad gave me is actually how our world really operates. The people with the most money make all the rules. So anyway, so between mental illness, obesity, cancer, pollution, long work days, and income inequality, you can see that our current civilization is far from perfect. And I bet I I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, even though our our current civilization is far from perfect, we still have to be living better than our ancestors, right? I mean, just look at all the shiny objects we have. Well, despite all the conveniences and all the stuff, we need to ask ourselves, are we happy? 
when that alarm clock goes off on Monday morning, are you excited to begin the day or are you immediately filled with dread? According to the book and many others who have actually studied happiness, the general consensus seems to be that it's not stuff, it's not the shit we buy, it's not the fancy gadgets, the designer clothes, or expensive jewelry that make us happy. Instead, what actually contributes to a great life is the things that money can't buy, like being involved in a community, having a sense of purpose, being healthy, and and having actual real-life experiences. These are the things that matter most. So let's break a few of these down a little further. So being involved in a community, this is by far one of the biggest contributors to one's overall well-being. People in a community tend to have shared goals, values, and ideas. Having these shared visions allow you to build trust, rapport, and camaraderie with like-minded people. A community also allows you to be part of something bigger than yourself. However, most of us don't even know our neighbors, and our friends for whatever reason, tend to live nowhere near us, having a sense of purpose. According to author Robert Brine, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. We all See, we all have a calling. We are all pre-wired with specific gifts and talents. However, if you don't find the right environment, your talents and gifts will never reach their full potential. Most people are unhappy because they are on the wrong path, operating in the wrong environment and not utilizing their gifts. Instead of living a life with a sense of purpose, many people spend all their time and effort contributing to a large corporate machine. Author Francis Chan said, Our greatest fear should not be, the fail- should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. I'm going to say that again because I didn't really say it. Well, the first time our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. So experiences matter more than things. The notorious B.I.G. said it best. Mo money, mo problems. True happiness is about getting out and experiencing life. It's not about it's not about how many toys you have. It's all about ex- the experiences. It's about being silly and having nonstop laughs with your friends and family. It's about going on adventures, confronting the unknown, and pushing yourself to greatest heights. So, kind of a perfect way to sum up what constitutes a great life is the story of the Mexican fisherman. So, this story is from the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. So. The story starts out, so there's an American businessman, your typical American businessman on vacation in a peaceful, sleepy Mexican beach town. So while hanging out on the beach for several days, he notices that a local fisherman takes his boat out at 10 and usually returns around to having caught several fish each day. This businessman is impressed with the fisherman's skills and, and decides to talk to him. So the businessman confronts the the fisherman and says, I see you're, you're very, you're a very successful fisherman. You seem to know what you're doing. Let me ask you, why don't you stay out there longer and catch more fish? Well, the local says, once I catch what I need, once I obtain enough for my family and some for my friends, I stop. The businessman then asks, well, what do you do with the, with the rest of your time? The local says, I sleep in, I have some breakfast I fish for a little bit, take a nap, play with my kids, have dinner with my wife and friends, and then I play guitar with my friends late into the night. I have a very rich life. The businessman says, man, look, you're doing it wrong. 
you should catch more. You should stay out there longer. You should catch more fish. Sell the extra, and with the money you can from selling the extra, you can buy more boats. Then you can hire a crew, and then you can make more money, buy a bigger crew, and then you can buy bigger boats. And finally, you can buy a processing facility, start exporting your fish to the U.S., and start selling to grocery stores and restaurants. I have contacts. I can help you out. You can make millions. The local says, wow, that sounds exciting. How long do you think this would take? The businessman says, 30 years tops. The local says, well, then what? The businessman says, then you can retire to a sleepy fishing, then you can retire to a sleepy fishing village where you can sleep in, hang out with your wife, and play guitar with your friends. So as I wrap up this episode, I want to remind you, I'm going to remind you all that the purpose of this episode is not to complain about society's problems or have nostalgia for the past, but instead to take an honest look at our society. Having the knowledge that problems exist give us power. It allows us to think differently. It allows us to make more informed choices. Knowing that our society is not perfect means that there are other ways to live. There are other ways to treat each other. There are other ways to treat the earth. Remember, we must first understand our problems before we can fix them. So I'll leave you with this quote from the Indian, Indian philosopher, Jadu Krishnamurti. It is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. See you on the other side.